Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, friends. This is Josie from Speaking in Church, the podcast you are currently listening to. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my favorite current thing right now, which is Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform. Um, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. This dummy, yours truly, set it up real quick. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which, hello, talk about easy. You don't have to be some professional computer person which is dope. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and literally wherever else you want to put it. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which, you know, some of us are just not going to get a million people listening, which is fine. Um, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to make your own podcast about literally anything like the two of us, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie. And I'm Spencer. And welcome to another week with us. This week, we have the amazing Hannah with us. Hey, Hannah. Oh, hey. (laughs) So for you, for those of you that don't know, a little bit about Hannah. So Hannah Jirasi is a pastor and strategic manager at Fellowship Church, where when she's not serving at the local church, Hannah enjoys game nights, dad jokes, good books, and camping, tri- camping trips. Uh, she is a graduate of Azusa Pacific University and Fuller Theological Seminary. Hannah is invested in exploring all the places and spaces that the gospel interrupts modern life. So give a warm welcome to Hannah Jirasi. Woo. That was so official. Such an official intro. I feel, yeah, I feel special, more special than I normally do. So Spencer, if you could just announce me everywhere I go, that'd be really helpful. Absolutely. Honored. Every time you walk in the room, walk into 7-Eleven. Hello, this is. (laughs) (laughs) It's me here for my Slurpee. (laughs) What up? All right, Hannah. Well, we always start off the podcast with uh, having, making, enforcing our guests to tell us about you know their faith journey in relation to the topic of guests but mostly just their faith journey yeah totally um where to start where to start well I was born um I guess it starts there I was born uh I didn't uh grow up in a a Christian household um until about middle school so I skipped the part of faith upbringing that has veggie tales and felt boards and all that fun socialization stuff um kind of skipped that phase and my family didn't start going to church until I was uh like 11 or 12 somewhere in the middle school years we started going to a church uh where I'm from up in the northwest and yeah um got going in the youth group honestly loved it um had the time of my life in my youth group I realize in hindsight though I have a pretty unique um church upbringing experience uh it, it was a evangelical church, but um, in my home church, I saw women at every level of leadership and saw women preaching, called pastor, um, leading uh, an equal part to their, to the men on staff. And so um, it wasn't until I went to a 
interdenominational uh, Christian college in California that I heard for the first time. This people just don't think we should be doing this thing. Um, this thing being, you know, women preaching, women leading, women pastoring, anything along those lines. Um, I went to Azusa Pacific University and on the whole, it's, you know, my professors there were absolutely fabulous um, when it comes to uh, supporting women in leadership and women in ministry. And um, that's where I met Spencer. But uh, I had some classmates who disagreed. So that was a little bit jarring, um, did not match my did not match my experience in the church that I grew up in. Um, but yeah, went to APU, started working at a church um, while at APU. And I still work at that church. Um, after completing undergrad, I went to Fuller, like Spencer made me sound so fancy in that intro. But yeah, I went to Fuller and um, just still work at a church and still, still female. So I'm breaking a lot of rules apparently. But yeah, that's a little bit about my faith journey. Um, kind of vague, but started around 11 or 12 and here we are today. So for some context, uh, Hannah was my freshman RA at Azusa Pacific University and very similar to Hannah, as you all know, I became a Christian in like the middle school teenage years, but opposite to Hannah, I grew up in a church where there was no women in all levels of leadership. Women were not pastoring. If women were in some sort of leadership role, they were most often directors or coordinators of some sort. Um, and then I went to APU, um, fully knowing that I wanted to study ministry and people from my home church were like, women can't do that. And then lo and behold, very much, I believe might sound cheesy in my Christian feels, but very much a Jesus moment to not only have Hannah as my RA, but her roommate at the time was also studying ministry. And these two women have just walked with me and, um, a little bonus, Hannah actually officiated my wedding because we love pastor hand. So thank you for yeah. that. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. That was like the last normal thing we did before quarantine was your right? wedding. Right? Yeah. Really, truly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm. You really got in under the wire there, Spence. I know. <laughs> and in my, in my feelings, like, thanks, Jesus. So, <laughs> Yeah, because I feel like my wedding was supposed to be two weeks later and it yes. did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Which is man. fine. Uh, so kind of just getting right into it. If you haven't figured out the topic this week is women in ministry and we have invited a very qualified woman. And if you don't think so, then you should come on and tell us why, <laughs> but, uh, basically to just kind of get started, uh, similar to what Hannah was describing of the, the tension of being in a place where women were fully uplifted in their calling. And also just to be clear, Azusa Pacific university, it's not even just like, the, theology, the school of theology, like the university as a whole, that's one of their pillars. That's one of the reasons I chose to go to APU is they affirm women mm -hmm. in all levels of leadership. So honestly, it's kind of funny because I remember sitting in these Bible classes and being like, homie, you knew what you were getting into. So like, why are you trying to fight this? <laughs> um, and one of the passages that always comes up, it's the namesake of our podcast. If you don't know, um, we're getting into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, and I'll just read it for you. Uh, women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as says the law. If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So, uh, Hannah, what do you have to say about that verse? <laughs> <laughs> So much and so little at the same time. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Um, this is a fun one. There's a couple of fun ones um, on the topic that, uh, yeah, I think maybe get a little bit too much airtime um, as far as, you know, keeping women out of pulpits and out of boardrooms and all of that. Um, yeah. Let's see. What do I have to say about this one? Um, yeah, I think at the risk of sounding just like an outrageous bible nerd like uh, the context cannot possibly be overstated um that this world that would have received these words the people who were supposed to receive these words and these instructions the people who were supposed to apply these instructions to their faith community um was just radically different than the world we live in today um 
you know, this is, uh, this was written to a specific church uh, in Corinth, hence, you know, first Corinthians, the first letter to the people in Corinth, as opposed to uh, second Corinthians, or as our former president says, two Corinthians. <laughs> um, so you can tell he's read it a lot. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, this, <laughs> this passage is written to a very specific church. It is written from a guy named Paul, who is essentially a, you know, first century church consultant. It is his job to uh, help churches do better as churches. We have that role today. It's called a church consultant. Those people are great. We love them. Um, Paul's instructing this church and he's writing very specifically to their situation, knowing what their situation was. Um, it'd be the same as if um, today, if I knew of a church in Kansas, for example's sake, and I was in a consulting relationship with that church in Kansas, and it was one church um, in Kansas, and I wrote a letter to them, probably would be an email because, you know, Emails a little bit quicker, uh, but if I wrote an email to them and I said, hey, okay, like, you know, you guys have been filling me in on what's going on in your community. I know the problems you're facing. I know the things that have been frustrating. I know what's going on in your city. I know what's been hard between, you know, the tensions between the city and the church. And if I wrote an email to that church in Kansas and gave them specific instructions, um, that would be great for that church in Kansas and the church in Kansas could apply it quite literally, because it was written for them. That being said, if what happened with that email is it got sent to a church in Indiana and a church in New York and a church in the Philippines and a church in South Africa and a church in Pakistan and all those other churches kept, kept that email and said, oh my gosh, we have to apply this exactly to the letter the way that that original church did that's where it starts to break down because the church in the philippines and the church in south africa and the church in pakistan and the church in indiana or whatever other places i named i don't remember <laughs> um those churches aren't in the same situation they are not experiencing the same circumstances they don't have the same cultural values they don't have the same laws in their cities um they don't have the same individual people that are comprising the situation that Paul is writing to. Um, and I think, yeah, at the risk of sounding just like I, you know, I'm not writing this off as, you know, untrue this, I'm not writing these verses off as something that, um, should be clipped out of the Bible. I just think we have to read it knowing what it was supposed to do. Like this is private mail. This is some guy's job to instruct this church on how to live a life faithfully following Jesus in a culture that's largely hostile to it. And at that time, um, it would have been so problematic for women to speak and lead in a church because even in the city and this in well, not state because it's, you know, ancient Near Eastern Palestine, not the United States, obviously, but um, in their in their region, it's like that would have been problematic inside or outside of the church. And so yeah, that's mostly what I have to say about it is like, let's not, let's just not miss what this was for. Um, and let's not miss that this was not for us necessarily. Um, like, yes, it, it made it into the canon. Praise God. I have, you know, received a lot of instruction and wonderful, you know, life altering principles and ethics from the book of first Corinthians. I mean, I use first Corinthians to officiate Spencer's wedding. Yes. Uh, we love first <laughs> Corinthians. Um, so I'm not downplaying any of that either. I just think it's really important for us to remember because this was not originally for us. We have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, and thankfully because of the gift of the Holy spirit, like we can discern and make wise decisions about how these principles apply to our culture 2000 plus years later on the other side of the world where like women are allowed to wear pants and vote <laughs> and operate vehicles and become doctors and all the things that would have been like unimaginable at the time. So hope that answers the question. Yeah. That so that answers that kind of is a good way to walk into the next question that I have. This is the only other verse I want to bring up because I feel like these are the most, the two most popular verses. So when talking about the Corinthians passage, 
you know, we go into the, hey, like, we need to realize who it was written for, the context. The other popular verse that comes up is in First uh, Timothy uh, chapter 2, mm-hmm. and it starts at verse 11. Just I'm just going to kind of paraphrase of, you know, let women learn in silence, full submission. Don't permit women to have authority over men. The verse that really I think people like, okay, this is like sort of their like clobber passage is verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So like, that's where people are like, okay, yeah, like the context, but like, what about right here where it's literally like, Adam came first, Eve is the one that caused sin to come into the world. Like, how do we, especially as women, like, it's even harder because when people are using this passage automatically pinned is like, well, you're a woman, so you're less than, you don't know how to understand, or you shouldn't be able to. So how do we combat mm-hmm. that when you come into this sort of passage? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think the same thing I said about Corinthians definitely applies to Timothy as well. Um, maybe even more so. And just one note on that for Corinthians, it's a letter to a whole church for Timothy. This is a letter to one dude. So it's still Paul writing Paul's writing to his mentee, Timothy, Sweet Timmy, we love you and all the ways that we have to fight what was written to you. Um, But (laughs) Paul's corresponding with somebody he's in a mentoring relationship with. And so this one, almost more so than Corinthians, this is very specific to a situation Timothy's facing. Um, And I just don't want us to lose that. Um, But yeah, uh, contrary, uh, like you said, Spence, uh, contrary to the uh, first Corinthians passage, this one brings up Genesis, which is lots of fun. Um, (laughs) We love it. A couple things on that. Just if, yeah, I, in my experience, I've heard first Timothy two brought up to keep women silent more often than first Corinthians, but um, rarely do I hear the argument um, of Adam being created first. On that note, though, I do think it's noteworthy that when Adam was created, uh, God decided that the fullness of humanity wasn't complete with just Adam. And so he made woman like Adam. There was some level of incompetence. Well, that's harsh. I won't say that. There was some level of. I love it. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. There was some level of you alone do not fully represent God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yes, Mother, Daughter, Fun Aunt, however you want to conceptualize the Trinity. I personally yes. like the Holy Spirit as a fun, sassy aunt. Anyway, Adam, you do not fully represent, embody, um, encapsulate who God is, who we, God, are. Therefore, we got to make another one who's going to complete the picture So yeah, order, I don't think order really matters other than to say the first one wasn't enough. (laughs) So that's worth considering. Also, when God does create Eve, the name that he gives Eve in Genesis, he refers to her as Azer, um, E-Z-E-R. And this word in Hebrew does literally translate to helper. Unfortunately, in the English language, this has been super blown out of proportion and people have taken it to mean like, oh yeah, because women are helpers, like secretaries and maids and nannies and women help. Ironically, that actually couldn't be further from the original (laughs) meaning of this word. The word azer in Hebrew is the word God uses to describe himself in relationship to his people, the nation of Israel. He literally says to Israel, I am your azer, as in like, war war time helper protector like very aggressive language of helper like you can't do it without me type of helper um so i'm like okay if god god described god's self as azer i'm cool with the name personally if we want to limit it to like i don't know some kind of like note taking in a corner you know while cowering because you're Uh, less than human or whatever we've turned it to be then you know I'm not interested in that I don't know anybody who is but if if God has described woman the way that God describes God's self I'm cool with it so that's a fun bible fact on Genesis so when that's brought up in first Timothy it's actually kind of ironic um, because Paul's saying to Timothy 
also noteworthy, like in regards to a very specific situation Timothy's facing with some women who were legitimately causing trouble in this in this community that Timothy is a part of. Um, so the same way that like I've I've had to discipline specific women, like in a youth group setting or as an RA, it was never Spencer, but as an <laughs> RA, I've had to discipline specific women and say, hey, lady, you can't do that. Uh, the same thing's happening here. Paul is instructing Timothy in regards to some specific women in this congregation who were causing a problem with the way they were acting in the public space of worship. It was distracting. It was unhelpful. You know, it wasn't, it just wasn't doing good things. And so he says, you know, can you just submit and be quiet? Can you just participate in this service, if you will, in a way that's going to be conducive to everybody learning? Um, so I just think all of that is noteworthy that like the Genesis stuff matters, um, the context of how this was written matters. And also, goodness gracious, if you back up like literally two verses, uh, yeah, two verses, first Timothy two, verse nine. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, but not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Okay. I literally have pearls in my ear right now <laughs> in my cartilage piercing. That probably wasn't biblical. Um, another translation says, I do not permit women to braid their hair instead of elaborate hairstyles. I braid my hair all the time. How else am I supposed to get volume? You know, I wore, bra <laughs> wore braids to my, <laughs> wore braids to my wedding. So exactly. You yes. Hussy. <laughs> like if, if either y'all's wedding ring is gold, I'm really sorry, oh, but not permitted. So yeah, so it's just, it's interesting because when we read a verse like verse nine, we can tell pretty clearly, oh, culturally, what that meant was something different than what it means now, because nobody's getting checked at the door of a megachurch to see if they're wearing braids, gold, or pearls. Like that's just not happening. Um, but two verses later, we have somehow forgotten that context matters and that, um, yeah, the cultural and societal roles of women still matter. We've forgotten what God says about Eve, you know, at the beginning of this book. And it, so it's just interesting how quickly and how conveniently we forget that context matters when it means that we can further oppress, oh, I don't know, 52% of the planet. Um, and I think I the percentage preach. is higher within the church, but <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I have to say about First Timothy, for now at least. Um, don't get me started on women being saved through childbearing. That's a whole other conversation. I yeah, I, I omitted that one for good measure. <laughs> so, mm. don't, I mm. first of all, like, I just think even as I think even as as all of us being women, like even as women that affirm women in ministry, sometimes I avoid these passages because of the damage they've done. But then like, wow, what a blessing for someone like you, Hannah, to come in and be like, okay, but like, let's really take apart these, these verses, because exactly what you said of, we're forgetting what God said specifically about Eve, but also just about women in general. Like, mm -hmm. I think sometimes when you think about like, oh, like God's people, like that means me, that means women. And so like, what does he say about that? Like, dang, yeah. that, that, that just like mini sermon, like that was like such a blessing. And well, I just want to say thanks for that. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. I um, grew up in the church ever since I was little, and I hear all these stories about my, um, it's funny that you said that, like, women can wear pants now, because that is very much something that happened in my parents' church within my mother's generation. Ooh. She was one of the first women to wear pants in her church, and it was a huge deal. Mm. Um, and still, my mom, being this rebel that wore pants, doesn't like that I'm pushing the envelope just a little bit farther and saying, I don't got to submit to nobody, mom. I'm my own woman. <laughs> <laughs> and how like you, these barriers are slowly being broken down. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny when you're like, this is just a letter to this specific people. And you're like, oh yeah, you're right. Everybody knew that, but nobody really right. took a second to think that maybe not all women, like right. the men like to say, not all men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, truly. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating to talk about this um, because there really is a larger, larger is in like worldwide for not only Christian women, but just worldwide, there's a whole 
project that we will probably, you know, be doing until the end of time of just, you know, getting to this place of gender equity, mm-hmm. um, let alone people who don't fall neatly into binary gender categories. So that's probably a whole other conversation as well. Um, but there's this whole other project going on of what it means to be considered fully human. Go figure. Um but yeah, like pants is one thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, women in Saudi Arabia, like within the last five years have been allowed to get a driver's license. Yes. Um, and so I can't even, yeah. So I'm like, if that's, and that's closer culturally and geographically closer to the recipients of these letters than we are today in Southern California. Like a woman in Saudi Arabia right now is culturally like much closer to the women who would have heard the contents of first Corinthians as it was originally written. So I'm like, okay, if women in Saudi Arabia just a couple years ago were allowed to drive, then no wonder 2000 years ago, they were barely allowed to speak. Like, so I think that's something also that's helpful to keep in mind. Like um, our place as women in a westernized context um and especially in southern california like blue state um all of us you know are very smart we have college degrees etc like our our experience could not be possibly be further from the experience of the women in the bible for better or for worse um so i think that's worth yeah just think that's worth considering too i think oh sorry go go for it um, I was going to say that I think about why people are so resistant to this, of women just being, you know, the same, um, like the Lord made us. And a lot of it I've learned from being on the other side because I did grow up in it. So I do know the other, like the conservative side of it all. Like, I get it. I understand you like to read what and what it says and what it says is what goes and period. But also mm-hmm. like why... I think why these systems are so upheld is and when you what you realize when you're like outside is oh at the end of the day it really is just about power and men having had the power for so long and they just don't want to lose any of it they don't want to lose power in their homes they don't want to lose power in the church because they see it as like easier right and that's like the argument some people will say is the man is the head and the woman is the neck or whatever or I love my big fat Greek wedding mm -hmm. (laughs) Or like somebody has to make the final decision. It's like, well, why can't you you both do the final anyways? Right. Like right. that notion of power corrupts absolutely that men just some some men still hold on to so dearly. It's like mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think um the desire for power well and power over another because you know I don't think I think power is one of those things where like it isn't inherently it is not inherently evil itself it's a tool how are you going to use it how's it going to move you or not move you um so you can get complacent in your power and become passive and uh thereby like protect it um or you can like aggressively use your power to hurt others or to distance them from gaining of it any of it but also like power can be leveraged and and utilize for good. But I think that desire for power over another person um, or a, an entire other people group or heaven forbid an entire gender, um, half the world. Um, I think that's like symptomatic of pardon the cheesiness, but like symptomatic of our like broken, sinful humanity. Like, I don't think that the desire to have dominion over one another was part of the original design. In fact, I'm positive it wasn't because in the very beginning in Genesis, God is like, he's got Adam and he's got his Azer, like the, the military helper that Eve is. And he gives them two sets of instructions. One, be fruitful and multiply. Pretty self-explanatory. Uh, we all know what that means. If you don't, um, tune in next week. <laughs> to well, this to podcast well, well. <laughs> um, that's the first set of instructions the second set of instructions is um cultivate the earth take dominion over the earth so this is like name the animals you know steward the land climate change is real everybody this is our like yes. second second commandment ever given to humanity is take good care of this place and god gives adam and eve dominion 
or power to do so, but what he doesn't give them is dominion over one another. So like that is not, that's not in there until sin enters. Like man taking power over woman is not a part of the picture until after it broke. And I just think that is (laughs) something we ought to consider uh, when we're talking about like, yeah, like what does it mean to reconcile um, not to any version of society that like we have had in recent history, but to reconcile to the vision of humanity that we see in Genesis. Like we don't get very many chapters in, um, so it's not like the fullest picture you could possibly imagine, but um, we have to talk about that. We have to talk about like, okay, in in the intended plan in the way that God laid it out before we could mess with it intentionally or unintentionally, what did it look like? It looked like man and woman co-laboring to cultivate the earth side by side because neither of them separately were a full picture of who God is. And so I just think that like maybe churches should consider, we'll forget, (laughs) we'll, we'll set aside like society for a second because Unfortunately, we have a lot less probably influence over how the whole world treats women, but you would think that maybe, just maybe, the people of this book, (laughs) the Christian church, especially in the U.S. where women have like more freedom than maybe most places in the world at least, um, you would think that the church would look at how it was designed and say that is the vision towards which we're working like so that's going to take a while we can't just snap our fingers and tomorrow gender oppression disappears we can't just snap our fingers and tomorrow institutionalized sexism disappears let alone how much internalization has happened of sexism and all the narratives therein Um, you know that's not going to happen quickly but you would think that the people of this book would take it seriously and take seriously the plan set in place by the God that they worship. Uh, But here we are having this conversation instead. (laughs) So the, okay. So two things that are, that are just interesting about this idea. One of getting back to the context of, so one of my mom's closest friends, um, her and her husband are actually from South Korea, like immigrated to the United States. And something that her and my mom talk about, especially when I was going to college, you know, there was some talk about like, oh my gosh, like she's going to study ministry and things like that. And her friend just being like, yeah, that's not an issue in South Korea. And I'm being like, well, what do you mean? She's like, I never knew that was an issue till I moved to the United States. Like Mm -hmm. in South Korea, like women are pastors and they're in leadership in the church and like Mm -hmm. the marriages are very equal. And she's like, obviously like, she's like, she's like, when people talk about like the heads of the house, like for us, it's more generational of grandparents Hmm. being like matriarchs and patriarchs not in bad ways but of being like they're the elders and that's why we respect them sort of thing Hmm. and then even when I when I went to South Africa with APU of like going to this church of just women out there preaching prophesying like doing all this stuff and again them being like yeah that's really an American issue like that's not an issue for us here yeah and so And again, it goes back to that, like exactly what you said of as women living in the United States, like we have much more rights and just Mm -hmm. privileges than so many women around the world. Yet when it comes to the place that we should feel the most accepted and the most Mm -hmm. free, we're bound by, we're bound by pages of a book that are supposed to be liberating, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. And then even just going further into that of exactly what you said of after sin, is when this hierarchy, male, female, having, um, you know, this sort of, I, I think the verse is like, you will, you'll like, you'll want for power over your husband. I think that's like what the verse is when God's sort of giving out these, like, you sin, this is the punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we get into, you know, we talk all the time about, well, Jesus came and made everything right. Like we have a new covenant. So the rules mm-hmm. of the old covenant don't apply anymore. Why do these mm-hmm. rules still apply? And, and it goes into the tension of like, where people are like, oh, like the already and not yet kingdom, like Jesus has Mm -hmm. come and made some things new, but not all of it. And so Mm -hmm. I think this is where it gets into that picking and choosing of, so we're choosing that this is something that God hasn't redeemed yet. And we have to wait, Mm -hmm. like, I'm really confused by that. (laughs) 
yeah, it is super confusing. And I'm so glad you brought up that it's just like not an issue in in the church and in other places in the world. Because yeah, exactly like you said, it's deeply ironic to me that in a lot of the world society or like culture, whether that's like the government, whatever institutions are in operation in various countries, um, don't see women as fully equal and and capable of leadership and all of that but the church does that's the case in a lot of the world like the Mm -hmm. church is the place for radical gender equity it's not actually radical it's biblical but like yes compared to society it's radical um (laughs) but then in the u.s it's literally the opposite we're like you can now hallelujah be the vice president of the united states but you can't be a pastor like you can you can have literally the number two spot in our country. You can get any degree. You can run a company. You can do really whatever the hell you want Yes. with, you know, your life and your time and all of that. You can wear pants, heaven forbid, but you can't even, yeah, in a lot of churches in the U.S., you can't even collect the offering or you can't be in certain meetings depending on you know how high up they are Um, it's just absolutely bogus to me because like in the bible and the first century church one of the like really countercultural aspects of the jesus movement like long before they were called christians one of the most counter excuse me countercultural aspects was the inclusion of women like that would have i mean that's like part of why jesus like got in so much trouble um so much trouble that they lynched him like let's be very clear about what happened to jesus did he resurrect absolutely did the did the state murder him yes, yes. um but before that like jesus kept company with women women were like financial contributors to his ministry like held up what he was doing he and the disciples didn't have a job Like, yeah, they healed a lot of people and that's great, but somebody had to pay for like their food and their housing and all of that. And that was like largely the women in his inner circle, let alone, don't even get me started on the very first person to declare the gospel, which is that Jesus is not here for he has risen indeed. That very first person is Mary Magdalene, who for the record was not a prostitute. And we have literally zero evidence of that. So stop calling her a prostitute. Mm. Yes. (laughs) But second of all, (laughs) it's Mary Magdalene. Like Mary goes to the tomb to grieve and to take care of the body and do the things that culturally you do in that time when somebody has died. And he's not there because he's risen again. She encounters Jesus. This is in like almost, it might be in every gospel. If not every gospel, it's in almost all the gospels. You know, if it's in Mark and John, then it's an important story because Mark and John could not be more different. Yes. Mark is super sassy and vague and really like, yo, this happened. Then we moved on. And John is like, mm, poetry. Jesus loved me so much. Let in me tell my you. Feelings. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like Enneagram wise, Mark is like a five. John is a four. That's my personal interpretation. Do not. um, As a four, I accept that. You're so welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anywho, so this woman, Mary, is the first person to see Jesus. And she goes and she tells. She's the first to go and tell. She's the first to preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead. And like just historically and socially speaking, that would have, that's literally the dumbest PR move that Jesus could have pulled. The least credibility. The least credibility. Literally the, the witness of a woman was not like, like was so disrespected that she couldn't even testify in court. So why would you hinge your entire resurrection on the credibility of Mary Magdalene who was not a prostitute, but who did have a very intense like conversion story because when she met Jesus, seven demons came out of her. I do not envy that situation at all. <laughs> um, although I do know some people that sometimes I'm like, did seven demons come out of you? Because <laughs> you're different now. But anyway, um, I'm like the the whole thing hinges on Mary's on Mary's testimony, and that alone that alone tells me oh, I know where Jesus stands when it comes to the inclusion of women and I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it at all. Um, I'm not concerned that Jesus um, 
hated women. He obviously didn't. I'm not concerned that Jesus thought that the contribution of women was less significant than the contribution of men. It obviously wasn't. I'm not concerned about, you know, what Jesus thought of women teaching and preaching and declaring the good news. He literally, like every preacher to ever say the name of Jesus owes their career to Mary Magdalene. Maybe that's a little extreme, maybe not. But if you back it up, the very first person in your job is a woman. So how come, how did we get here? Literally, how did we get here? But I mean, I know how we got here. It's the patriarchy and, you know, <laughs> one of the oldest things that we have on this planet. Um, but anyway, I don't even know. There wasn't, you didn't ask me a question. That was just like a little bit of a riff, but yeah. It, oh, I remember where I was going. Okay. I just get so excited and then I forget. But the the early church, the first century of Christians, like their inclusion of women was so radical that like the world hated them for it. This is like, this is real persecution. You know, there's a lot of people claiming persecution these days. I'm just bringing in all the things that I want to say on a podcast, but there's a lot of churches saying like, we're persecuted. And I'm like, oh, it's cute. You're not, but- um, You're not. You're not. You are not allowed to sell merch- and yes. claim persecution. Amen. It doesn't work that way. If you can sell a t-shirt, then you're obviously not, you know, whatever. But anyway. You can make but, money off your message. Right. <laughs> Shut the that fuck is, up. Right, exactly. Um, so, um, no, it was great. That's how we all feel about it. And uh, we all know who I'm talking about, but that's okay. Um, yeah, the early church, which was actually persecuted, like, like people were martyred, many of whom were women. People were martyred because they follow Jesus. And one of the radical things that set people off and made them not like this community was that in this community, unlike in society, women were included at every level of leadership. And that threw people off because that changes like that changes the economics of a, of a country that like that changes like societal roles that changes everything. And people are uncomfortable with change. So it makes a lot of sense, but. Yeah, anyway. <sighs> the Bible, guys. It's nutty. It's nutty. Truly. I just... I mean, yeah, like I... We had talked about it in the podcast before of just who Mary Magdalene was, the least credible person, and even just going back farther to like the birth of Jesus, like, come on, an unwed teen mom that was like literally dirt poor, like... God made it very, very clear, not only, not even just who mattered, but who he wanted to play pivotal roles in his story. Mm-hmm. And I think the, I mean, I, I said it all the time. I don't think the church takes that seriously enough, right. especially in terms of women, in terms of women of color, in terms of women that just it places women that come from places that our society says is trash like Nazareth. Um, <laughs> God made it very, very clear of, Hey, like, these are the kind of people that are important to me. These are the Mm. kind of people that I love the woman caught in adultery. Like, dude, like you want to talk about culture right now? Like, Mm -hmm. let's look at her and let's really, let's really show some love to, to women and men, honestly, just out there in the culture that we live in, because the church does not show them the grace and the love that they desperately need right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, truly it's, Oh man, there's so, and I think we, we just lose that. We lose all the context of like what it would have meant for, yeah, a 13 or 14 year old girl who was engaged and like not supposed to do anything to suddenly become pregnant and be the mother of Jesus. Like we lose what that means because people don't like literally people don't know how to read the Bible. Like (laughs) biblical illiteracy is a big problem. And this is a crusade that I'm on for the rest of my life is to help people like better understand the Bible. Part of it too, though, is like, I don't think that every single person who follows Jesus needs to be a Bible scholar. Like you don't need to, if you're called to go to seminary, that's great. You know, it's very expensive. So make sure you're called, but like not everybody needs to go and get a degree and like own 14 commentaries and all of that. But it is the responsibility of the church to teach their people what the Bible says and what it means. And I think that we have like one of the great failures of the church 
has been like the, our inability or maybe not even inability, but like unwillingness to talk about the role of women in scripture. And I say that as a person who works for the institution of the church, like we have failed Christianity in that way. Like we have led the sheep astray to not stop and say, oh yeah, actually in the genealogy of Jesus, four women were included. Like one who was like ethnically from the wrong crowd, one who was a prostitute, like one who was sexually assaulted. Like there's like the women included in the genealogy are not credible. (laughs) Like by, (laughs) by those days. I'm here. No. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Did I freeze? Okay. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I edited it. No big deal. Like your internet's unstable. I'm like, how dare you? How dare you? It's like if you can start oh, again from okay. um, they were uncredible. <laughs> oh no, man! I can't remember how I started the whole thing. Can you hear me again? Yes. Am I frozen? Yes. No, well, I can not hear anymore. You. Yes, I'm frozen. No, you're not okay. frozen. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I'm like, yeah, I have full full bars. Wow, remember when we said that? What the heck? All right, Jesus. We need you to help us through this technology because we're trying to tell the people this that they're women free. Um, <laughs> I don't remember how I started it, so I'm just going to say the whole thing again. Okay. Um, sorry that you have to edit this. But uh, I do think that one of the great failures of the church, um, specifically the Christian church, um in america is that we and i'm saying this as somebody who works for the church like this i'm including myself in this in this failure in this inherent apology we have not taught our people what the bible says and what it means um in a lot of ways but especially when it comes to uh the significance of women in this faith tradition like you just can't you don't get you, d- you literally don't get Jesus without women, like in the genealogies um, that are written before the birth narratives of Jesus in the, in the gospels, like women are included um, in Matthew in particular, four women are included that are like, like one of them is like ethnically from the wrong nation. Um, another one is a prostitute. Another one has been sexually assaulted. Like there are women in these genealogies that show us you don't get to Jesus without everyone. Like you do not get to the story of Jesus um, just through a whole bunch of men who had a whole lot of power and like many of whom were not great with the power that they had. Like um, they included those women because those women are so significant to the story, let alone, yeah, Mary then is Jesus's mother. Um, She's 13 or 14, like we said, and she's not supposed to be pregnant at all. And what I love is that they're like, God sends an angel to Joseph, her fiance, and Joseph has the opportunity to opt in or opt out to the call on Mary's life. Like, so this is not Mary, you need to submit to your husband. This is Joseph. You need to submit to what is on Mary's life. You need to submit to who she is called to be. She is anointed as the mother of the, of the most high God, like in human flesh. Like, so you need to get in line with that and, and say yes to what God is going to do through her. You're kind of a pawn in this situation. Like, like he did need to marry her because otherwise she could have reasonably been murdered by the state because you just don't get pregnant before marriage. And like, that was like a, a much bigger deal than it is today. But all that to say, um, I just think that's significant as well. Like Joseph was invited to not invited, strongly encouraged um, <laughs> by the angel to, yeah, to submit to what God was going to do through Mary. Um, but we lose that. Like, we just don't, that's not, we lose it because we don't, we aren't paying attention to it. And we, when I say we, I mean like largely the evangelical, predominantly white Christian church in the U.S. context, like we we're reading the parts we want to read we're ignoring the parts we don't want um that we don't want to that we don't want to read because if we read and take those parts seriously we have to do undergo a serious redistribution of power 
along the lines of, you know, race, gender, et cetera. Um, and I think that we're afraid of that. And I think that that would greatly inconvenience the people that are currently in power. So we're just not doing it. So they don't even tell us about those verses because then we would get ideas in our head like women can preach. So that's my soapbox on that. <laughs> and so Joseph being encouraged, invited into this narrative of Mary, I think that also like, that is like such a, that's something that needs to be looked at in the sense of women going into ministry that are married or have significant others. Because I think so much of it is like, oh, you want to be a pastor's wife? Like you're going to serve the church because you're the pastor's wife. Like, Hmm. but like, if, I don't know, I just, from my experience of like women that have like women that are in ministry that have husbands, like, listen, there's a double standard of a pastor's wife. She got to be ready on point all day, every day to serve the church. But when does the pastor's husband have the same expectations? And I'm not saying that's good because I think there is flaws of this thinking that a pastor's wife should be doing whatever, but also it's just a, it's just an encourager, maybe of even uh, people that grew up more conservative, like me and Josie of like, especially, I just think of my own husband of, I am discerning of, do I want to really pursue a call to ministry? What does that look like for him? And just the comfort mm-hmm. of like, dude, like the angel went to Joseph and was like, this Mary's called, and this is something important. And I want you to be part of it. And I don't want you to just be some bystander. That's like, okay. Because something we don't talk about is dude, like, Joseph was Jesus's dad. Like he played a part in raising the man we know as the savior of the world. Like right. he deserves a little credit in that. Totally. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and he said, yes, praise God. Yes. Um, because now here we are having this conversation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, Spence, I think you're so right. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, being a, being a spouse or a, a partner to anybody in ministry is hard work, no matter no matter your gender and no matter the gender of the person who is in vocational ministry, that, that is like, that's just hard. Like it's, it's, you carry a lot with that person. I mean, ideally any spouse to any person with any career is carrying, you know, what they're carrying with them. I think that's what yes. by like for better or for worse, but um, <laughs> I'm not married at all. Very far from it. But um, all that to say, like, that's a hard role no matter what, there are so many double standards therein. You're right. And I think part of the double standard is even what it means to be a single person in ministry. Like I don't, I don't hear of single male pastors. Granted, there aren't a lot of them, um, but single male pastors, when they preach, you know, nobody's asking about their wife um, because, you know, they don't need their wife's covering in order to go and preach, but I've been places where I've gone to speak at an event. This is not true at my church. My church is very supportive um, of women, praise God. Otherwise I would have a very hard time working there. Um, But I've gone to other churches or organizations to speak. And um, usually not the organization, it's usually somebody in the audience or in the congregation that will ask me about my husband, about my kids, about, you know, oh, it must, you know, you must have your husband's blessing to be here and to teach these men. And I'm like, wow. It's so it's, it's also just like compounded by, um, you know, we think women are still not fully human, but more human uh, than they were when they were single, when a woman gets married. And I'm like, no, like, that's like not a, it's not a qualifier for ministry actually at all for men or for women. It usually plays out more so for women in our culture, but um, yeah, it's just fascinating. Like we, how that, how that all goes, but yeah, there's been a number of times when, uh, (laughs) yeah, I've been asked like if my husband's there to, um, yeah, to, you know, give me a covering and I'm like, huh, no, (laughs) am I fired? Like, like, are you not going to let me preach now? (laughs) But yeah. I'm like, I showed up. Right. I flew here. But okay. But so do they just not ask, do they just not ask about you before they like invite you, hire you, whatever you want to call it? Like that seems a little weird. I know. Right. Well, that's where like, it's usually somebody in the congregation and not, gotcha. um, okay, yeah. not a staff member. Only one time has a staff member been like, oh, you're a woman. Um, which like, I mean, I am, I am a tomboy, but I'm definitely like cisgender. You look at me and you would assume 
I'm female. If you were to assume people's genders, you would you would be correct. Um, and your name but is only, Hannah. And my name is Hannah. <laughs> um, yeah, but only one time has somebody been uh, has a staff member at a church that I was preaching at been surprised. Granted, it obviously wasn't the person that hired me. Um, and also, this is a uh, this is a Presbyterian church in Texas. Um, so, like, yeah, it's Texas, so you never really know, um, like, politically, what you're gonna get as we just saw a couple weeks ago in the election. Um, but the church that hired me was Presbyterian and Presbyterians love women. So that's great. That's not my tradition, but I can get down with that. Um, so the person that hired me is fine. I get there. They're like bringing me into the sanctuary. It's a Sunday morning service. Um, and there's like a couple hundred people in their congregation and they're like, okay. So they're talking me through it before I like go basically um the service hasn't started um people are starting to arrive and they're like okay so you know this is the stage you'll come from over here this is where you fall in the order of the liturgy yada yada um they're like now we'll go get you we'll take you to the production booth and we'll get you like a microphone i'm like great cool super standard it's always how it goes we go to the <laughs> production booth i'm there with the senior pastor so the senior pastor of the church has brought me the guest speaker to this production booth <laughs> and ask the production guy who has a name tag on like an official name tag so I'm assuming he works at the church because it's more than like a sticker name tag it's like your name is engraved on that thing so you probably work here um and he goes okay I like I'm here to get the um I'm here to get the speaker mic and the production booth guy like looks up and he looks at the senior pastor it's also a dude um, he looks at the senior pastor he looks at me he looks back at the senior pastor and he was like well, when is the guest speaker getting here? <laughs> the senior pastor was like, she's right here. This is Hannah. Hannah will be preaching this morning. And the guy like kind of scowls, um, like brow furrowed and like looks at the senior pastor and looks back at me, looks at the senior pastor and looks back at me. And he was like, this is the guest speaker. And I was like, yep. We're going to be at Exodus 3 this morning. I can't wait to talk to you about the burning bush. Um, but then in the the senior pastor was like, yeah, this is the guest speaker. Can we get her microphone? And the guy just like begrudgingly handed me a mic. And I was like, thanks. I'll bring this back. Um, like, you know, what are you expecting here? Do you think I'm going to steal it? No, he was probably upset that I was female. But then I went and I preached. And um, it's one of my more favorite more favorite it's one of my better sermons so I know I did at least well maybe didn't knock it out of the park probably not the best sermon I've ever preached but I did well the people were really engaged a lot of people came up and like chatted with me afterwards and said thank you and all that good stuff so I know I didn't like botch it completely so then I go at the end and I bring the microphone back <laughs> he wouldn't even look at me he just stuck <laughs> out his hand and oh man and I'm like I know you heard it because you had to click through my slides sir um but yeah mm -hmm. so that's the only time that's the only time that like somebody in like a leadership role has been surprised or visibly upset or confused um but usually it's like yeah, it's usually a congregant or like you'll, you know, you'll go and preach at a camp. And even though it's like middle school or high school. And so like, technically they're like kids. I'm not, I'm not teaching the men. I'm teaching the boys, whatever. Obviously I don't believe that. But like, even though they're like technically like minors, like every now and then you'll get a parent that's like, oh my gosh, like we don't, we don't believe that women should be doing that. So how could you, how could you hire a female speaker, but in any case, those are just some, some rants that I don't often have the opportunity to rant about. So thank you for listening. Sometimes you officiate a wedding and there's definitely people in the audience that don't think women can be pastors. So Oops. yep. <laughs> How satisfying. Oh, I would just feel so like, that's right, bitches. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I'm an, if you all know the Enneagram, I know Spencer, you do, but I'm an eight on the Enneagram. <gasps> Me too. Oh, yeah. So I intimately is... know each <laughs> Yes. Uh, you know better than anybody what I'm talking about. But like, I, I, um, yeah, I am not unsatisfied uh, when those things happen. And I'm like, oh, would you look at that? You don't want women to preach or you don't think we can, but I just did. And 
You know, even if I had like ghost written a sermon and a male delivered it word for word the way I had, like, I'm positive you would have been thrilled about it. So whatever. Like at the end of the day, really, this is how I imagine the whole thing. Like at the end of the day, what I will be held accountable for is whether or not I was obedient to who God called me to be. Um, not what God said to anybody else. I will be accountable to who God called me to be. And part of my understanding of that calling is teaching and preaching. Um, that's not going to be all of it. That's not going to be the only thing I do to respond to God's mission in the world lifelong, but that is going to be part of it. And so someday when I get to heaven, I don't know what the entrance process is like. I don't know if there's like an angel with a clipboard or what, but when they ask, did you do, <laughs> did you say yes daily um, as faithfully as you were able to, to who we made you to be and what we asked you to do, I will say in clear conscience, yes. And if I get to heaven someday and I was wrong, granted, if I'm wrong, a lot of other people are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> if I get to heaven someday and I was wrong and I spent my whole life as a pastor in the local church, preaching the gospel, welcoming people into the kingdom of God, no matter their gender, no matter their race, no matter anything, if I spent my whole life doing that and I get to heaven and I find out that I was wrong and I wasn't supposed to do that, worst case scenario is that I was wrong, period. That's literally the worst that could happen is like, oh yeah, we actually didn't want you to do that. But best case scenario, even if I'm wrong, is that heaven is more crowded. There are more people in the kingdom of God because myself and other women um, throughout time have said yes to the call of Jesus on their life. Now, if I get to heaven someday and I was right and the haters are wrong, <laughs> we all know who I'm talking about when I say the haters, <laughs> but if we get to heaven someday and I don't know, let's just name some names, the Mark Driscoll's of the world, the John yes. MacArthur's. Yes. John Piper. Piper. Oh, which is so hard because a lot of his work is really good, but then a lot of it is really painful. Um, Tim Keller, same thing. A lot of his Oof, work is another. Legendary. That guy knows God and systematically keeps women out of leadership, which is unlike the God that he follows for the record. But let's say someday in heaven, they get there and we find out that they were wrong, that in fact, women actually are called and anointed to preach and lead and pastor and shepherd and do, you know, cultivate the earth, all the things that men are called to do. That's not to say that necessarily every individual woman is gifted and called to preach, but that's to say that like those giftings and that calling is not assigned based on gender. If we find out someday that those guys were wrong and the women, but mostly those guys were wrong, the worst case scenario is over half the world was kept from obediently becoming the full expression of the Imago Dei. One, two, all the people would have come to know and love and follow God because of the leadership of those women as pastors, as deacons, as bishops, as reverends, as whatever you call them in your tradition. Two, a whole bunch of people would not know God because a lot of people have come to know God because of women. Um, and that's also problematic. Um, and then three, the whole world, whether people ever decide to follow Jesus or not, the whole world would get, would not get to, the whole world would miss out on the full expression of what it means to be God, which was only made complete when Eve was assigned to be the military helper to Adam that God was to Israel. Like those are some like massive consequences if they're wrong. So they got to really think they're right in order to keep women from even being youth pastors. Oh my gosh. Don't even get me started on like how, how far down these, the levels of oppression go on org charts, but like, oh my gosh. Um, like they got to really be convinced that God is not on the move through women that are following him to keep over half of the population of the world from, from those roles. Like that is absolutely insane to me. I just like, can't imagine, I can't imagine that cost being worth it. Even if you were thought, if you thought you were right, the possibility that you were wrong 
would lead me the other way. And yeah, so all that to say, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not tripping about it because I know that if I'm wrong, worst case scenario is Jesus is like, yeah, you missed it a little bit, but like, thanks because more people are here. Like more people, more people are experiencing healing. More people are experiencing reconciliation. More people are experiencing freedom and peace and joy despite their circumstances because of you. So like, it's okay. <laughs> like, I think that's going to be like the worst thing that happens, but I also don't think that I'm wrong. So <laughs> all that to say, like, man, it just really, it gets me in, it just gets me all kinds of worked up because I, yeah, I just really don't think, I really don't think that God is like that. Like that just does not fit who I know God to be when I read scripture. I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing about this God is oppressive. None of, none of God's self is oppressive whatsoever. Um, and so if we have systems and narratives and um, cultural values that are, that quack like oppressive, that, that are oppressive in nature, then surely they are not from this God. Like, yeah, so I sleep at night, you know, knowing that <laughs> I'll probably still get into heaven. We'll find out, I guess. <laughs> I love it. Men, get over your peepees already. Gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh, <sighs> Hannah. I've loved hearing all that you've had to say. Thank you very much for joining us today on our little cute little podcast where women just Talk and talk and talk and speak and speak and teach and teach and teach. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. Tell our friends where they can find you. All on, that on the interwebs. Yes. Um, not a lot of places. <laughs> um, I have an Instagram. It's just my name. I don't know if my name will be in the title of this or what, but it's Hannah. Of course. Spelled biblically: H A N N A H. Jirasi G E R A C I. That's my Instagram handle. And then if you want to read what I write, sometimes I don't write a lot, but sometimes I write and that's at hannahgerasi.com. And that's all I have to offer you. I love it. Well, friends, you can find us on Instagram at speaking in church. You can find us on Twitter at speaking church because Twitter is dumb and they didn't let us use our whole name. You can find (laughs) me on Instagram at Josie takes the world and Twitter at Josie takes the and you can find me on Instagram at Spence Rose. And you can find me on Twitter at Snowball underscore. Yeah, friends, let us know. Email us if you have any questions. Speaking in church at gmail.com. Let us know if you loved it, hated it, if you want to be on the podcast, or if you're stupid, um, want to come fight me. That's fine, too. I'll win. Don't worry about it. If you don't <laughs> think women should be in ministry, maybe we'll invite Hannah back and we'll just have a little, we'll have a little conversation. <laughs> yeah, wow. that debate will mostly consist of me being like, oh, burn. Um, but, you know, <laughs> you can come on. That's fine. Uh, we've loved having you, friends. Thanks for being here. Love y'all. Jesus loves you. Stay woke or get woke. Bye.